Welcome to the Mental Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Dunn, co-host Fran Ramsden, and today we're going to talk about core values, um, specifically in America. We work with both groups and individuals, and anytime that we're working with a group, it's really important to make sure that everyone agrees and is aligned with their values, um, and that the again, that they're put in a hierarchy so that whenever two or more come into conflict, we know which one to choose. Um, <clears throat> anytime we have a group, there's two sort of arguments that'll take place. Um, they're dependent on those values. If we all agree, typically the disagreements are in the method and those are a little bit easier to get through. Um, and it requires a different discussion than if the disagreement is on those actual values and what we're trying to accomplish as a group. Because if those values are different, our goals will be different. Um, so we kind of today, again, want to talk about it in terms of American society. <laughs> Things are divided lately, uh, and it's been going on for a while, right? It's something that's been happening actually since our founding, um, and that's why it's sort of impor important to start there. So. To begin, um, some of the founding values, whenever you ask someone, what, you know, what are American values? Some of the things that are commonly said are freedom, obviously, um, liberty, equality, justice. These are things that people typically think of. But if we had to pick one um, core value that America was founded on, I think it's the value of independence, right? Uh, it was Declaration of Independence. It wasn't Declaration of Freedom. It wasn't Declaration of Equality. It was the Declaration of Independence. And I think that that's important because without independence, you can't really have any of those other values. Um, so, Fran, whenever people sort of talk about American values in the founding, uh, what sort of comes to mind for you? Yeah, good topic. Uh, I think today is going to be an interesting podcast. It's going to be... You know, I, I, I think U.S. history is something that is undertaught, uh, not for like lack of attempt. I just, you know, I don't particularly enjoy that uh, our public education system and even universities, you know, have like U.S. history one, U.S. history two. And they try to talk about, uh, you know, 300 years worth of history uh, in three months, essentially, and try to boil down and pick things out. And, and again, the way our education system currently is here, it's a lot of. I'm going to say something as a teacher, you're going to regurgitate that on a test for me. And I just find that that lacks, you know, and I think now we are starting to get more research and, and, uh, opinion on this, but I, I do think that, that, uh, you know, kills creativity and creates critical thinking. Right. So I think those are, those are really, really important to understand this topic. And, you know, if you're somebody that, that maybe needs brushed up on some U.S. history, like that's fine. Like I learned way more outside of school when I researched these things on my own. And again, that also allowed me to kind of come into it with an unbiased perspective. I was able to read the written works from the actual founding fathers themselves because, you know, they were able to write back then. And so you can read directly what they were saying at the time. You don't need a professor, a teacher, a mentor, a parent, a, a best friend. They, like they don't need to interpret it for you. And then you just repeat what they say. Like we have the ability to go to the texts and, and you know, some of these great documents, you even mentioned the Declaration of Independence. Like, when was the last time someone's read that and, like, tried to digest what's in there? So, yeah, when you talk about these founding values, I think everything you, you listed there is is uh, extremely accurate. And that does capture kind of the the what people were going through at that time. And I agree with you. I think the big thing that, that we should focus on in terms of, well, it's not necessarily something to focus on. But I think one that really captures my attention from your list is the independence part, obviously. 
and how that, that translates to, to like, like a modern term, I would say like personal responsibility. And the reason I think that that's so interesting is because it was such a critical component of founding the country. Uh, and then I actually think today it is a, it's a, it's a hard to find quality or value. It's hard to find, you know, if you look at a lot of policies or topics today and discussions, it seems like we're getting away from that, uh, for a variety of factors and then for a variety of different answers. But like you said, independence and this personal, you know, responsibility, accountability, you know, you, you know, you have to look, you know, you are responsible ultimately for your own actions. Like that whole kind of concept, I think was, so, you know, again, such a critical part of the founding and what those men at the time were wanting to put into this country. And when you look at today, I think that's lacking. Yeah. Um, personal responsibility is definitely a good term to uh, compare it with because it's that's kind of what's required for it right so <clears throat> the value then was independence and again it's because you can't have any of these other things without it and the idea was that e each person is an individual person they have their own individual sovereignty and they should be able to live their life accordingly, you know, uh, according to how they see best fit, provided that they're not interfering with anyone else's ability to do that. Um, and it sort of stemmed from there. But again, it all comes down to this independence. And so in order to be free, you need to be independent. Um, in order to have these other rights, you need to be independent. And then again, in order to be an independent person, yeah, you need to take accountability, practice personal responsibility, and do these other things. So it's sort of a circular value system as well. Um, and I think that's why it's important. That's why it's been helpful in why America's gotten to the point that it has. Um, it's success as a country. I know that that's debated the level of success, how you measure it, and um, you know, what to attribute it to. But uh, really, I mean, I do think the values play a role because um, even the critiques that we make of the nation are based on those same values, right? It's not like the that we're critiquing America based on Australian values, right? It's, it's America isn't living up to its own standards. Those are the critiques that we have. So we can't forget those original values. In terms of what's been replacing it. Um, I think the biggest thing has been to reduce suffering. I don't want to say to eliminate it. I don't want to do a straw man argument. I think it's been to reduce suffering. That has been sort of the biggest competitor to the value of independence. Um, I think it's a noble goal, but I don't think it's good as a top priority is the, is the number one goal. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think we teased this a couple episodes ago about reducing suffering kind of arising here as the backbone of a lot of these new policies that we see in our society. And it's not even just it's not even just like the law policy stuff or what they pass in Washington, D.C. I mean, it's, it's even how people behave and what they're starting to expect from others. Right. And, you know, like there's I think the examples are pretty bountiful. So even if we just like even if I just gave a couple off the top of my mind, um, I again, I, I think that what you see is what we are describing where at one point we may have been centered around independence, personal responsibility, accountability. And now we're getting to the point now where we are looking to, again, like I said, prevent others from suffering as a goal. Like 
like you said, it's not to eliminate it, but it's to try to reduce it as much as possible. And that plays, and I think it flushes itself out. And again, a lot of the policies that we hear politicians talk about, as well as the conversations that are happening. And so if you keep that in mind, I think what we're doing here is we're framing this discussion with uh, properly, which is you have to agree on the purpose of the country. You have to agree on these values as a country. And then from there, you can compare everything to that values to see if it fits in the system. And if, if somebody's argument becomes, well, reducing suffering is a good goal. It should be one of the values. It should be a top value. It should supersede independence. That should become the, then that's a whole different conversation, right? Um, which again, is probably is what's undertaking here. You've got people that believe that it's our duty to help the people in suffering or are, or are vulnerable to suffering. And it's our duty as a society to help those people specifically, even if it goes against independence at this point. That's kind of where we are. And that's why I'm, I'm trying to frame it this way, where it's, it's tough to have them both if, they're, if you're going to say they're equal values. Like, and that's where Mike started this by saying you have to create a hierarchy. You have to create some organized effort so that you know if more than one thing come into conflict, which one we need to go with. And so we're having that discussion right now, I think, as a society. I don't know what side's winning. It, it actually seems like reducing suffering is winning. The pop culture stuff, the Twitter, uh, maybe it's just louder. But that, to me, seems like they're on a crash course. Independence, reducing suffering. And again, you can't have them both be equal. One of them has to be sort of like the the apex of our uh, value system in America. And it's always it's been from the founding independence, but as we go through these decades and centuries now, it appears that there there seems to be a conversation brewing about that changing. Yeah, that was a perfect summary for it. I think um, again, where that value stems from a it's a long value. And again, it's a good value to have. Um, we can discuss that separately. I think the conversation you have to have now is which one is more important. Some reasons, again, we're not saying that you can't value reducing suffering. The concern is what happens when it overtakes independence. So some reasons why that can't be the top value. Um, again, we said reduce suffering, not eliminate, but it's kind of the same thing um, because you have to, what are you going to do? Reduce it to a certain point and then a certain amount of suffering is allowed. Uh, so the goal is ultimately, if you take it to its logical conclusion, going to be to eliminate suffering, um, which you can't do entirely. There's going to be a level of suffering and in some sense there, there has to be. Um, part of you know, part of the accomplishment, to go to Aristotle, um, the word he used for the highest good was eudaimonia, and that's translated as human flourishing. But a good way to think about it is, again, the sense of accomplishment you get <clears throat> whenever you achieve a hard sought after goal, right? And, and sort of whenever you achieve your purpose. So you can't have that without suffering, some some degree, right? We shouldn't have endless suffering, we shouldn't have unnecessary suffering, but to try to reduce suffering is going to really not allow us to flourish and, and be happy the way we want to. Um, and also, again, there's a lot of decisions here because the, the reason that these two are in such conflict is independence, again, stems from the idea that people are different. 
people are unique, they have different preferences, wants, and that they should again be able to live their life the way they see best, provided that it doesn't interfere with someone else's ability to do the same. So if they can, it, if someone else is deciding, you know, what suffering means, because we have to define all these things, then that is directly interfering with another person's independence and their ability to make choices for themselves. So it, I think you're right, these are on a crash course and it is really important that we have this discussion while the opportunity still presents itself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think it becomes, when we talk about this crash course, it's, I think it's evident in like a lot of ways, right? And so, like, I'll give a brief example or two just so people can, like, really see this before you get to your next question or, like, you know, where you want to steer this next. But just to give a couple of quick examples here, I think if you think about the Second Amendment, okay, and again, when people were creating the governing body for, for this country, the Constitution, the rule of law, how we're going to do things, they put in the Second Amendment uh, because they essentially wanted the ability for the population to defend themselves okay that was the number one purpose of it being in there if the, if they didn't put that in there then the population could be subject to rules and laws around firearms where then at some point down the road you could have a situation where the government has too many stringent laws in place the individuals are not allowed to own firearms therefore they're not able to defend themselves as as efficiently and as thoroughly as they can now that we have that in there. So if you just think about that and how that issue, we talk about it now and you talk about gun control and these mass shootings and, and, and you know violence that takes place, that is a great conversation where you have independence, okay, matched up in a heavyweight fight against reducing suffering. And so those that want to go in there and change the Second Amendment or just pass laws that would to, you know, that would... Um, that would have some impact on the Second Amendment and those to be able to own firearms and utilize them. They Their goal is to reduce suffering. They don't want people to die. They don't want people to get shot. They don't want these horrible events to happen. And so they come from a place of, I think, goodwill. They want to, again, like we said, reduce the suffering that happens when these uh, tragic events occur. And then the people on the other side that are saying, you know, do not infringe upon my Second Amendment rights. Uh, this is not going to help. Your rules and laws are not going to get us to a safer spot they're essentially coming from the independent side saying hey if you're worried about your own defense you have something already you can go buy a firearm be trained in how to use a firearm and if someone wants to come into a store while you're there and start shooting it up you have the ability to draw your firearm and shoot the perpetrator so that's essentially that's a really good example i think of of again this independence versus reducing suffering the other one quickly is sports youth sports particular so like you said, to tie this in uh, to Aristotle, you know, this idea of accomplishment, I mean, it drives me. I think it drives most of us humans. I think it's innately in us for, you know, uh, a large percentage of us. Sure, there's, there's some of us that like security and would rather live a meager and boring life to, you know, as long as it means it's consistent and they can under, and they can predict what's next. That's, that's, that's fine. But I think when you come to sports and competition, the whole climax of that is when you win the championship. That feeling that you get from putting in the hard work and winning, uh, the only reason that that feels so good is because of how it feels when you lose. And so again, you get the people that are saying, hey, we have a tournament. There's eight teams in the tournament. You came in seventh place. Don't worry, Johnny, here's your trophy. And that's usually a parent's attempt 
to prevent that child from feeling that loss. They don't want to feel the grief of loss and the and the devastation that comes from losing a competition and sucking. So you got seventh place. They want to reduce your suffering in that moment, give you a trophy, make you feel better. But at the same time, they are being a detriment to that high that you get from winning. And in fact, the whole purpose of the sport is you're openly agreeing to participate with the rules. You are independent to train and to compete to win. So I think those are just good two examples so people can really focus and understand what we're getting at here and that we're not too theoretical. Uh, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, those are two very good practical real world examples. Because again, those are discussions that are going on right now. And a lot of time people talk past each other and don't understand where the other side's coming from. And again, these are all good intention. It's just we have to look at the core of it and where it leads to. Um, So to go back to the founding, um, maybe -hmm. if you could talk a little bit about the history of everything um, and just sort of, you know, how these things came about. Because again, they're Societies are built on different things. Um, why did we sort of choose right. the, the values and, that we and, did? And it's actually probably a good time to talk about this too because I actually, ironically, I think I can accurately tie in current events with the shooting in Minnesota and people's concerns right now in 2020 with like police brutality. And then I can think I could tie this into the founding a little bit here. So this might be good. Um, <clears throat> so when you look at how life was before 1776 okay essentially this you know these lands that we now currently live in the united states was nothing more than oh my camera fell oh no here it goes got it back <laughs> <laughs> uh, i saw it slipping i was like is it slipping and there it goes <laughs> um the colony we we're nothing but colonies meaning we actually were under the rule of uh britain right and so you had People sail over here in a wooden box, completely crazy, right? Come over here, they find the land, they say, oh, there's land here. It's kind of like what we're trying to do with Mars eventually, right? Like there's land, like there's other places we want to go there and cultivate and start a society there. And so that happened. And then over time, uh, the people that were living here were so far away, a whole ocean apart from those that were in charge or in charge of uh, governance or ruling them that they didn't accurately feel like they were participating in the system or that the people spoke for them. And then all that would happen is they'd be so far away, they would never see the king, they'd never see any, any of these taxes, like, you know what I mean? And then what would happen is they'd get these rules and dictates without any say, no representation, no nothing. Just, yep, well, now all of a sudden you have this tax. You got this stamp tax, you got this tea tax, you got all these things. And eventually it got to the point where, again, you have to be careful with power, Okay. Uh, I did see Joe Rogan talk about this a little bit lately, and I think he's a big pop culture person. And I think he's right. He says, like, you got to be careful with who you give authoritative power to because they don't really want to give it up. They don't want to give it back. Or it's hard to control it, to be in those scenarios. And so, you know, again, that's kind of where you no one likes to feel, as a human being, overpowered by some other individual, especially if it's just our, if it's outside of their control, right? Like if it's an unelected official who's in charge of making rules about how you have to live, I don't think any people, I don't think any person likes that, that concept, right? Right. So that's, that's essentially what happened. And they essentially said, we don't like all this power being consolidated elsewhere. We want to do our own thing. Okay. And that's like the third grade version of (laughs) independence. (laughs) I do our own thing. Um, But to tie that into like kind of the the police brutality stuff today, you've got people that are concerned 
uh, you know, again, I don't know, I don't know most of these groups, Black Lives Matter or the protesters and this, that, but you get people that are concerned with power. Okay. They're concerned that the police have too much. They feel like they, that they're being overwhelmed. And so I actually think that there's room if the people that are concerned today with these things come back to 1776, come back and look at some of these founding values. And we can actually bring some of this here to the future today to probably help us solve some of this, some of this tension we have. Um, because I do think, again, if you talk about limit suffering, we can't prevent every individual that gets into an altercation with police from dying. That's going to be an impossibility, whether the fault is for, is more on the person in question or the cop or a third party. Like that's just going to be something that's going to probably happen. We want to minimize it, of course. But again, that becomes the issue if you prioritize reducing suffering is you're going to start creating policies, law, movements that are based on that. Whereas I think it's much, uh, probably a lot better if we can, you know, maybe we have to make this argument a little bit more to convince people. But if we if we come at it from a pace of independence and self-responsibility and accountability, again, I think that that's the core value that helps us solve some of these issues. And so, yeah, that, that's what happened back in the day. They... They didn't like all these rules and laws, and you know they they found a way, obviously, to 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 create a system that was more based and predicated off of, hey, we don't need somebody an ocean away telling us what to do. We have ingenuity, we have creativity ourselves. Let's create some rules, though, so people don't take advantage of the game we're playing here called life. Let's you know let's create some rules we, we can all agree with. But we want, we think we can govern ourselves for the most part. We 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 can create, you know. Uh, a structure infrastructure that you know does give us some boundaries but for the most part we want people to live their life if you want to be a tailor you want to be a banker you want to be a shoemaker you have the freedom to do that here and that's you know not everywhere every, that's not the case everywhere both today and in the past right um <clears throat> i think that's a good another good example uh way of tying things into today um i think i just want to point out the so people don't miss it from your third grade explanation. The uh, it's not just the distance, right? It's not you're not talking about physical distance right. necessarily. These are the things that come with that, and part of it, one of the similarities, is the feeling of being unheard. Um, again, the colonies originally just wanted representation. That's what they wanted. They wanted a sense that they were being heard, um, and that's where a lot of this stems from today. Uh, side note: uh, when we come from this from the standpoint background of mental fitness. So part of that is obviously we're going to tell people to look at own personal responsibility. And as much as we would like to reduce suffering and reduce a lot of these things, we live in the real world. So our advice is practical advice for how to deal with these things as they are and as we're working through them. Because until we get there, guess what? You still have to live your day to day. So there's tools for dealing with it in the moment um, as we're trying to get through these issues. So the advice is going to, you know, it may be straightforward, but if we're admitting there's, there are these problems that exist, um, how do we deal with them today currently, given that they exist? Um, I think that, again, when we talk about personal responsibility, yes, it comes down to both sides. And what we're talking about here, like you said, that yeah, we can't prevent all of these tragedies, right? Um, that's just a realistic statement. That's the way the world is. What we have to do, and this is why the genius of the founders is really evident. Um, 
on two things. One is that we, we know that we can't prevent all these things. What we have to do is deal with them. And again, they valued, they put their values in a hierarchy. One of the problems they faced was being, um, you know, jailed without fair trials. So one of the things that they valued greatly was innocence. Innocence until proven guilty. That was a new idea. And that was one that they admitted, hey, we're going to get some wrong, right? Like there's going to be some guilty people that go free. But we have to decide, is that better to have some guilty people go free than have innocent people jailed? And again, that's the goal. Whether that's playing out now is a different story. But that's the standard we're holding um, you know, today's environment too. And I think it's really important that we keep that standard. The other side note is you said power. You mentioned that. That's the other genius of the founders is that they they understood the allure to power, right? How much people wanted it. Um, yep. And what happens when the wrong people get a hold of it. <clears throat> but we need some sort of government system, some way to enforce our values. So... The solution was to decentralize power as much as possible. The less power in, you know, few hands is better. If we can spread that out, get it locally, that's the best solution. And that's sort of the idea that they came up with to prevent that. Yeah, I think that's a principle too that's like universal, right? Like I actually think there's a big argument for companies to have decentralized power to a certain extent. Um, if you work for a company, and the person that makes all the decisions is the CEO and he has the say on X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, and he doesn't, um, you know, authorize other people to make decisions. I would question the ability for that company to survive and thrive. Um, you know, obviously there needs to be a leader, right? There, there does need to be somebody where responsibility ultimately falls back on. But I, I do think that this uh, decentralized power is something that you can see if it goes various aspects of life. So, you know, and even sports, honestly, like if you, if you, like I don't think people know, so like the NFL, right, for football, the, the coach, the offensive coach, right, has power to lead the offense, which is one half of the, you know, one half of the, the game, if you suppose, if you have offense and defense, right, forgetting special teams for a second, half of it is offense. You have a head coach who authorizes an offensive coordinator to lead the game planning, and in most cases, call the plays. And then that offensive coordinator further further can decentralize his power now to give some power to the quarterback, where the quarterback can make audibles and change things as he sees fit. And so it creates this system, again, of just decentralized power, where I think this is a something that is an example that people can understand. And there's a reason that, there's a reason that works so well. And that's why some of the best quarterbacks have the most uh, freedom, because their coach is willing to do that. And so, again, yeah, the things, the things we're talking about are not just from 1776 and don't apply today. And that's actually a talking point that I, I see a lot, is that the founding fathers couldn't have imagined everything. They got a lot of stuff wrong, and we need to update. We need to update. And, you know, the issue with that is I think values stand the test of time. I don't think values – I mean, they may change. I'm unsure about that. I think there's probably somebody who can make an argument. But what they did when they created this country is because they based it off of values and not based it off of, like, law, you know, like these other tangible things, I think it actually has created something – that could be in cement for the most part. Like like the system created the rules and you can you can using the rules you can change some of the infractions of the game, I guess, or some of the smaller, minor things that you know on the day to day. But the overall arching system, I, I don't 
I, I, I tend to disagree with people, and I think they just misunderstand the founding then if they say that. That, oh, well, they created a system, but they didn't know everything, and so we need to update. So I do have some issues with updating. I agree. It's not that we can't update, but let's be careful when we do. Um, I want to go to your pretty, uh, sports analogy real fast. Yeah. Uh, I really like that, uh, sticking on that, not only just for the decentralization, but again, to point back to independence and tie it in with that is how, again, if you're going to stretch it down to the quarterback making decisions, we have to have trust in that quarterback. And the way you're going to do that is if he's mm -hmm. independent and he earns that trust on his own, he's going to have to go out there and show you that he's capable right of running the offense you're not just going to hand it over to him he has to or for it to be effective at least um and again that requires independence so in order for you to have a system that allows for decentralized power that's why again independence is important and you'll see that it stems through all these things if you look hard enough and i think that really that's one of the main differences between the american revolution and the french revolution is that it, the american revolution was built on independence. They had one core value. There were other ones that were talked about, but they had one core one, and they didn't want anything conflicting with that. Whereas the French Revolution had um, liberty, equality, uh, fraternity, and those came in conflict from time to time, right? You can't, liberty and a sense of community, and which one, the group, the individual, it, it, it leads to some confusion. Um, I think that here it was much more concise. I'm sorry, what were you gonna you were gonna ask something, I think? No, no, no. Nope. Nope. No, no. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so what can we do? Is there any other way to tie it into today's situation with the with the shootings and the violence? Or is it kind of a separate value topic? Um No, I mean, I think the part about being innocent until proven guilty is a, a very is a big major one, and you're right. That really wasn't a thing before, right? They used to just, I mean, regardless of what time period you look at, they used to just take you and, and get it over with, execute you pretty much, uh, if you were accused of something. So right. <laughs> half your time probably was spent manipulating and making sure you were never even accused of something. <laughs> and uh, you know, you know, obviously we today have a very much different, you know, we have a much different system of, of justice. And I and I do agree. I think that's something that isn't always easily swallowed. By the way, I mean, like to, like right now with this case with George Floyd and this officer that was charged, um, it's not comfortable to sit here and for most people to watch a video and say, "Oh yeah, I mean, like that guy's guilty. He he's going to be in trouble." Da 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 da. And then we have to wait. Like we have to wait because there's a whole process. And what's uncomfortable about it is that he has, he has rights as well. He has rights, the accused. And so, you know, everybody and their mama can watch this video, right? Everybody, everybody, the whole town, whole country can watch a video, whole world can watch a video. They have a, they have a feeling he's guilty, right? We have a, we, we, we can look at it. Like we can make up our mind. He's going to be in trouble. That's not good. We don't want that. At the same time, he has a right to innocence until we can prove that he's guilty. And that's why people misunderstand why he's charged. He's now upgraded uh, the charge to the second degree murder and why it's not first degree. Everybody's screaming, what the heck? First is clear as day. First degree. And, you know, and I think it's good that we've developed a system uh, for murder of multiple levels because they're, they're, they're different. I don't think they all can be treated the same. Definitely not. And so people that are crying out for first degree murder don't realize that that usually involves premeditation and planning 
and that guy woke up that day to go kill that guy. You know, and that's that's definitely uh, that would be a very hard case to prove. And obviously, if you can't prove your case. The peers get the vote, and if they say no, he's not guilty of that, then he's gone. He's off. He's scot free. And so, people that are clamoring for a first degree murder charge, that actually would probably result in him walking free, no punishment. Like we said earlier, like that's a that's a that's a way that somebody that's guilty of something may walk away with nothing and be out and about. And so, I think it's appropriate to do the second degree murder charge. Obviously, the case still needs to be made. The system still has to work. You still need a really good attorney general. I think in this case, I think he's I think he's leading it as a prosecutor, but a team of prosecutors. They got to go, got to get the facts, got to make the case, got to convince a jury, essentially. Uh, so that um, that might be hard to swallow. No one wants to hear that. No one, no one, no one wants to say, but hold on, wait a minute. The cop has rights. Got to you got to give him his fair share here. Nobody wants to hear that. Like that's that's a fact. I mean, right. Um, and you know, it is difficult. That's what I'm saying it's difficult. It's not an easy thing to say, especially if you were directly involved or knew the victim in this case. Like that, it ain't gonna be easy. At the same time, that's just the way the system is, and it's for the greater good. It is. It is. So right. go through the process, innocent to proven guilty. Uh, again, that's something that's clearly something we, we talked about earlier that is on display here fully, and uh, it just takes time. And to sort of explain a little bit why why it is the way that it is and why it's important that – because, again, people are going to question, well, you know, he took away yeah. George well, Floyd's rights. Why does concern. he have rights? Well, I so, – yeah. Go ahead. My biggest concern, though, it, it, right, like with that is if we don't go through this process of innocent until proven guilty and go through how we have it set up, then essentially that creates an environment where an accusation is now the same as a guilty verdict, right? Right. So, right. again, uh, to take another example that we have today, well, I don't know if it's a thing anymore. I haven't heard about it in a while. You know how it is. <laughs> Things change freaking every month. There's a new <laughs> thing that's on Twitter, a new thing that the news media is talking about. Well, remember we had the Me Too movement stuff, right? You had all these – um, individuals who had accusations of sexual misconduct, rape, you know, various sexual crimes and, you know, misdemeanors from a long time ago, and they were bringing it forth today, sometimes 20, 30 years later. And while an accusation deserves to be heard out and to be judged off of that merit, you, if you had a system that was not innocent until proven guilty, those people that would come out, and guess what? There were people that were lying. There are. There's people that are lying or not not remembering or they weren't sure. Well, you can't have a system, in my mind. You can't have a system where somebody makes that accusation and then we just treat them like guilty. But that's actually what happened, I think, in the in the court of public opinion. When somebody's accused of something, we rush to judgment. Oh, he, he, he's a pig. I knew it. Get him out of there. And again, you have to – you know. Again, so, so that would be my largest concern – with if we didn't have the system built on an essential proven guilty, an accusation is literally a guilty verdict. If I said anything, like imagine me and you, Mike, got into a fight, a yelling <laughs> argument, and then I went to the police and said, hey, this guy sexually molested somebody or he, whatever, you touched somebody. And if you, if you didn't have to actually, like if I actually didn't have to prove that, you would just be hold off right now. Hold right, off. Right. I could be making it up because I'm mad. So that's, right. to me, the most no, important no, part I mean, of the innocent proven guilty. In general, that's the yeah the worst accusation you can lobby on someone right now, even without the court. Just the public opinion will um, bring a person down. It's but actually a crime, isn't it? I, to not <clears throat> like isn't it a crime to make an accusation falsely? Didn't that guy do that? He said he got beat up by all the white people. Liable and 
well, yeah, yeah it, depending on the circumstances, if he, <laughs> you know, well, if he wastes police resources, depending right. on, you know, but if you, if you say something else about someone, yeah, there's different legal consequences. Right. Um, but no, so I think it's important just to clarify that, yeah, we want accountability. We think that th that needs to happen. Um, but we understand that there's a process and the importance of the process, again, doesn't just extend to uh, the officer in this case, right? Like it's not that we want to take time to protect him. It's that we want to protect every other person who may go through this process because it's, we understand there's mistakes made, right? Yeah. I mean, and it actually someone like looks right. Like, so this do. case, <laughs> right. Like yeah. this case we could know hundred percent, but we know that's not the, the way the world works all the time. Like we don't know that every single case. And a lot of times there's questions. And if we rush to judgment on those other cases by setting bad precedent here, it can have consequences. And again, I, I, well, yeah, but here you can see, like when the other cases will take more time. I know, but the, the mistakes like that happen. Um, it's really important to go through the process for, for the grand scheme of everything. Because we've seen, again, what happens whenever you open the door to rushing that process. It, you jail people wrongfully. And again, you, then you convict them too early. You send them to jail. And we still, and that's the crazy long, part. Yeah, it still happens. <laughs> still happens. And right. we have innocence of proven guilty. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's what I mean. So, so it's important as we're going through and looking at ways to better things that, again, we don't throw away our starting points. Right. The values that we're criticizing the system on, we can't lose those. Otherwise, we're going to have to have a whole another discussion. We're going to have a whole, you know, we're not going to be trying to achieve the same thing anymore. Yeah, like, so like, and, and here's the thing about that is even if somebody's hearing this podcast, right, and they they disagree with us, they think, no, no, reduced suffering should be the top priority. And here's why. Da, da, da. Well, then at least they should be honest about that effort because we want to make clear that that's exactly what's happening is you've got people that are arguing two different value systems. You get people that are saying independence like they're arguing from that standpoint and there's people on the other side that are arguing from this reduced suffering standpoint and they're not even talking to each other. Like they're completely missing each other because they have different ideals about what the country should be or what the value should be. And so if you're somebody that's that maybe even disagrees with us, you don't like that independence is the number one thing, then you should start admitting that and having that conversation with people saying, hey, we should change it. We should change it. Here's why. And then at least then the right conversation happens because – if you hold a different value system, you know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to think, like, that'd be like me going to a Christmas party wearing 4th of July outfits, right? Like, oh, here we are. Like, it's not even the same ballpark, right? It's 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 different. And so, yeah, I think that that's the other takeaway is, he, you know, I obviously advocate that, that we should have, we should remain independent as the number one thing. I think, I mean, look what's come from it. It's the greatest country that's ever existed. And here's why. And it could directly stems from independence. However, if some other person in this country wants the freedom to discuss that, and potentially change it, then they got to convince us to do it. But you know, that's that's how that's why I would say it. It's it's not even like we all just have to reject it. It's whatever your mind is. Like I want you to be able to 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 articulate that, and maybe you'll have your mind change. Maybe you are somebody right now that that thinks reduced suffering is a good idea, and then you hear this conversation, and then you're like, oh, but I can only have one as the main one, right? Like I can't. Ha that's a good point. I can't have independence in this. Well, I got to pick one. So maybe someone changes their mind that way. But uh, again, it, it's, it, that, it's having the right conversation, the right aim. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And this is a topic I want to, you know, I think this is a good starting point for it. It's one I definitely want to touch upon again. Um, and we would absolutely, yeah, love to hear feedback on it. It's one that I'm sure people haven't really thought of in these terms before. Um, any closing points? You want to tell them where they can reach us? Yep, they can reach us on um, Facebook and Instagram. That's at Ramsden Mental Fitness. Twitter, it's at Ramsden MF. At Ramsden MF. Those are the three primary ways to do it. Twitter is definitely the best. And then, um, you know, obviously this podcast is on video format on Facebook and YouTube. Again, the YouTube is Ramsden Mental Fitness. And then the audio versions are being distributed to all, all the podcasting platforms. So, yeah, I mean, in closing for me, you know, I think this is something that we are definitely short on which is the education of our founding and so you've got people that are making opinions on what our value system should be who don't even fully understand why we have the value system that we currently have and so there are articulating uh, and pining for change but they don't even truly understand what we currently have i think that's an issue i think that's something that if you're going to argue that we need to change independence as the top priority and the top value to something else like reduce suffering you should do some homework and figure out, uh, you know, how independence became that staple point, how that became uh, the founding principle in essence. Like why, you know, and what were, what were those men dealing with at the time that they decided upon that? And then that way that gives you some more information where, number one, might surprise you and change your own mind, which what is not a bad thing. Hello, hello, you're allowed to change your mind. That's a thing we should encourage. So maybe it changes your mind. But even if it doesn't, it should give you a better handle to be able to, to debate and discuss that topic then. Because right now, we have a bunch of people who are trying to change a system, again, that they don't understand. And that, again, to me, just punches too many holes in their ability, and they're not gonna convince people. You know, I thought the most interesting thing that happened to me in the last week here is I was talking to somebody on Facebook uh, about current events and stuff, and I just asked them, you know, how, how, how does what you say on this post, how does this help people come to your point of view? Like, how does this, win somebody over how, how how is this going to gain support for you for your cause and they essentially said i don't care about any of that don't care i'm not trying to win anybody over and that to me was interesting because if you're going to actually instrument change you have got to gain support i don't know if there's much change that happens in this country with like a small percentage of people like if you only have eight percent support and not and not 92 percent of people don't care or are on the other side like you're not it's not going to change you're not, you're not changing nothing it's not and so part of this is being willing to talk to people that have different opposing viewpoints to lay out your argument, try to convince them as best you can. And hopefully it's based on fact. And, and, and you, to me, facts went out eventually. So even if someone's wrong, if they're presented with enough evidence, enough history, uh, you know, there's opportunity for that person in the future to change their mind. So that's how I would wrap it up. Just, just, have, that, just have that understanding. If you don't know history, it's fine. Most people don't. Uh, a ton of free resources. Go to YouTube. You guys Go ended up having a good, convers Google. productive conversation, right? Yeah, you would think, right? No, you you ended up having one, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. <laughs> but here's the thing: I mostly do have productive ones. Uh, it doesn't start that way because I think we talk about what we run into here, where the people are talking on two different wavelengths. And part of what I view on social media is it's my job to get us on the same same wavelength. Like that's mission number one for me. So if somebody's on there, like oh, screw the cops, or no, screw that, you know, screw people that try to commit crimes. Like, you got to get them on the same wavelength first. That's number one. Once you get them there and you have an understanding of what we want to accomplish in the conversation, you can then proceed. 
Um, but yeah, I, I tend to have productive conversations all the time. They don't start that way. They usually start terrible because people, again, are resistant to getting on the same wavelength. They're not used to cooperating. Uh, they're not used to people being asked tough questions. And so there is some knee-jerk stuff. But once you push through that and you get – and I don't get mad. Like I, I cannot – if I got mad, then that'd be the end of it. But I keep calm, level-headed. It's part of the process. They're going to have a knee-jerk reaction. We plow through. The stage is, the stage is set. We have a productive conversation. So yeah, I typically tend to have great conversations when most people do not on social media. And I think that's the that's the issue. You, you can boil it back to the, the guiding principle or as we've discussed before, the purpose of the conversation, the purpose of an entity, the purpose of the police, the purpose of the law. If you get if you get that first, then you can discuss the details. So that's how I'd like to wrap up from my from my standpoint. That's great. I love it. Well, uh... Definitely touch this topic again and catch you guys next time. Alrighty, see ya.